Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Before we begin, of course, a word from our Friendly Queer podcast. Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gays in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else. All right, so before we begin, just so you know, this is the last bonus episode. I am, and I promise I'm going to have season six come out of Queer Teen Podcast. It's happening. I'm not giving you a date because lots is happening in this amazing life that I'm leading currently. (laughs) So it's all exciting. Just enjoy this last episode. Thank you for listening this summer slash into the fall. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's it's a lots of stuff is happening. It's just so good though, and you'll know all about it. But take a gander at season six coming out soon. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Queer Teen Podcast. Super excited about my next guest. Found them in a very funny way, but and it worked out that now we're just gonna have a great conversation. So take it away. Hello, so my name is King D. Razagar, and I am um, a illustrator, fashion designer, um, film director, multidisciplinary, all in one. I do a lot of different things. Um, my pronouns are uh, he, him, to they, them. Um, it sort of ranges, and um, I am the new found founder and owner and creator of Magic Dolls and everything under Magic Dolls. And uh, so, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. So talk, tell me about you. Like, where, did, where do you come from? Like, how did your journey really start for you? Like in your, in your mind, in your, in your world? Um, well, I was born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, or I was born in North Carolina and okay. um, and I sort of came forward growing up in the good old South, um, in 
North Carolina, which was, uh, to be honest, a sort of stressful place for anybody within any form of queer spectrum to be raised in, um, though I was very, very lucky with the family that I was born into. Um, that has sort of since been very desensitized to my eccentricity of who I am as a person. Um, and, you know, I came about, I was always creating things. I started out as an illustrator and a comic artist. Um, I started writing science fiction um, since I was really, really little. I started writing a lot of science fiction, a lot of short stories, etc. And I built myself up to creating um, more in-depth works and in-depth comics. Um, the main story that is now actually the story behind my brand, Majo Dolls, uh, I started when I was actually about like 11 years old was when I first started the very bare beginnings of the story. So um, it's been a long time in writing and I learned a lot about writing the story before I started getting into screenwriting. Um, and then, you know, I went from there to studying fashion in, um, in Georgia and in Savannah, Georgia to combining all my creative interests together to create what I do now, which is a conglomerate of all the things that I love and admire. Uh, let's talk about the dolls. Like that is, it's a, can you explain the world? <laughs> um, basically uh, to go into briefly what Match of Dolls is um, yeah. and it's very complex, but <laughs> I didn't know you were doing it since you were 11. So that completely makes sense that, you know. You yeah, I mean, it's, um. oh, this, I hope this delay isn't going to be, there's a little no? bit of delay. I'm in. You're just, your screen's delayed, delayed, but your voice is, is fine. Okay, that's good. Because, um, but basically, Magic Dolls is um, a, we are essentially a, sustainable brand, though I am catering to the high-end market and industry within fashion. Um, we are a sustainable brand that combines a fictional lore um, with um, detailed and complex print work. And my computer is doing a whistle here. <laughs> but like um, with detailed and complex print work um, using water-based inks um, et cetera. And um, in terms of the story behind Magic Dolls, um, like I said, the actual story was first developed when I was started developing when I was a teenager and I built up that development to fleshing out a story that could be paired with heavy visual elements. So um, the story behind Magic Dolls is essentially a science fiction realm and a fully detailed and fleshed out science fiction realm very um, detailed very it's so <laughs> good <laughs> sorry yes but a lot of the combined influences actually come from the fact that i spent a long time studying bits and pieces of fashion history to um to science fiction history um to even the aspects of the psychology behind story development and even the socio-political aspects that can go in to storytelling um, without and sort of desensitizing the fact that whether or not people think that something is too preachy to talk about, the entire consensus of preachy and storytelling is mostly because people. Oh, hold on, you're breaking up. That we all turn to fiction. Oh, no. 
Say that part again. Uh, but um, it's all about bridging the gap between fiction and reality to state that we all turn to fiction to make ourselves feel better, to feel like uh -huh. we have something to relate to. Yes. And I feel like, and especially for marginalized people, um, you know, it's important to have fiction that is representational, um, whether um, on scene or behind the scenes. And, you know, so that's the premise of the story in itself is that it carries the combination of developing a story, creative intrigue, but there's so much more meaning behind it. And I think that's one of the biggest things about what I'm building here. Um, and, you know, I know it, it probably seems complex now, but it's gonna air, sort of air out in the complexity as soon as I complete, um, you know, my first uh, samples and go into my debut, which is, you know, my own debut that I've set, which is coming up, you know, and trying to land that on time. It's so, um... Well, complex is good. I mean, look at some of the most successful, I mean, what is it? Uh, some of the most successful like sci-fi like shows are like the layers of like storytelling. What's the one that everybody loves? Oh, the of the crown, the throne, where everybody sits in the spiky throne. Uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. That you can't even, I mean, that's so complex to the point where you're like, I, I don't know. Okay. Where'd that person come from? But that's okay. It's their worlds. Someone you know, created that. And I and I've actually read the. Um, Your phrase. I mean, Hold I've on. read a little bit of the actual books of Game of Thrones, but I'm somebody <clears throat> that I have a tendency to watch. Let's take off our let's take off our videos to see if it helps a little bit better. Even though I want to watch, but let's just remove them and see if it helps. All right, go for it. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, yep. I've read the actual uh, the Game of Thrones books, but then I'm somebody that I have a tendency to turn to. I have a tendency to turn to the um, behind the scenes of everything, mm -hmm. as opposed to the actual source material itself. I don't know why. Um, but my thing is, is that I read uh, the book that spanned uh, George R. R. Martin's. Uh, entire saga of the back history of, of his writings. And it's pretty incredible how a lot of epic fantasy writers can string together an entire world, even beyond mm -hmm. yeah. what is published out for people to see and read. And that's like a big thing for me. And one of my goals is developing that even beyond what people are gonna see in the beginning with the debut of the first short films. Um, to span into a much deeper meaning once I get into the things that I further want to, you know, span into. Because, um, like I said, to to give further warning <laughs> to the craziness <laughs> that's going to unfold is that um, I'm essentially starting out the visual portions of Magic Dolls using utilizing creative direction and photography and film direction um, for the short films. And then to build up the duration of my films as we go along and build up more people, et cetera. Where did the name come from? Um, the name Magic Dolls, um, it actually came from the fact that one of the muses of Magic Dolls is called Marilyn Magic, And she is the one who is 
um, essentially the referred to as the doll maker, but she is essentially the one that builds a synthetic army in the story. And I'm not going to go too further into what that is yet, but yeah. Marilyn, um, Marilyn Magill actually fueled the name Magill Dolls because that is what this sort of doll company, quote unquote, um, that Marilyn Magill masquerades as in the story um, is named. So I actually named the entire company and brand off of that character because I just felt pulled to it and I felt that it was a name that, you know, stood out in itself with the uniqueness um, and pulls people in. And thus I am here. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so when you were growing up in the South um, and did you, were you involved in like art, always involved in art or theater or um, did you have your tribe very quickly? Cause I'm always curious about those things. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was a total theater brat. I mean, I didn't have my tribe quickly. I I will say, you know, and it's something that I'm still actually I will say going through the process of, you know, connecting and reconnecting with that soul tribe in this lifetime, you know, um, because like I said, I will say there was different aspects of the queer acceptance, the artistic acceptance versus the racial sides of things that were often racial, my progressive mm. that, you know, forgivingly, I acknowledge that those people are young and may not realize it, but at the same time, the more I've thought about it, the more a lot of the things I experienced in childhood contributed to racial microaggression. So, you know, building my, sort of that soul family, meeting the chosen family, the soul tribe, the soul family, whether you want to refer to it as a more, the politically correct term or the spiritual term. It's just like, um, I was, to be honest, kind of on my own a lot, always creating, um, always drawing and writing and, you know, creating and exploring in creation because I was kind of born in, the middle of nowhere. So, you know, I didn't really have a lot of people around me and I was sort of always independent in my own, maybe mildly sheltered <laughs> sense of life. And I realized that there's a good side to that. You know, I had a strong family support system, um, which is a privilege in itself to have because a lot of people didn't have that. And I realized that, but at the same time, you know, it's, something that I was raised in a very sort of environment where I may not, like I said, to repeat myself, I may not have had a lot of friends growing up, but I sort of built this strong sense of creativity in who I am. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, with, when people are in theater in general, they tend to, uh, they could basically play by themselves for hours and hours on end because <laughs> Like you just, you're constantly just moving through, you know, this world that uh, is really, is real for you. You know, it might not exist to the outside world, but it exists for you. And uh, I was like me, you know, I did put musicals on in my basement, probably up until I was 17, you know, and like, and I was in theater and dance and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I used to, I used to actually do things similar to that. I would force my parents to 
look at me instead of the television <laughs> and I would direct these shows and films. So it was a sign that I was destined to be a director or in that position of some form because I was always I was always that headstrong, creative, like, look at me. This is what I'm doing. Hello. You know, I just sort of came out of the womb and I was like always creating through the highs and lows in my life. So, you know, it's that thing where it's like theater for me was one of my outlets because I was sort of that annoying child that was in everything. So, you know, I had to always be doing something and you know, I bounced around doing theater throughout middle school and high school to then illustration. And then I started getting into fashion, started studying fashion um, around high school before I started actually going to school for it. I mean, I think that's, it's so interesting with, you go to school for it, of course, and um, you learn from really awesome people, but it's interesting. I think it's, uh, you, with anything like in the arts specifically, the only way you gain experience is if you're actually like in the throes of it, you just have yeah. to be there. Otherwise you can be taught a lot, but you're not gonna still be taught what happens when you're actually like involved in a moment of creating, I don't know, clothes or art or dance or theater. Like you just have to be there and, and experience it like firsthand. That's the best, yeah. best education for it. Which you went to school in Georgia, you said? Yes. Cool. Uh, what's your background? Like your like, what's your like family background? Um. Oh well. I mean, my basically my dad on my my dad's side, uh, we actually have Blackfoot and Blackfoot uh, Indigenous or Blackfoot Native American, quote unquote, um, and then Blackfoot Indigenous or Black or or in the Cherokee Indigenous and Cherokee Native American. Um, mixed with what we now know as ancestrally Nigerian, and oh. then my yeah, and then my mom's side of the family is um, she is has mixed ancestry as well, um, but is mixed white. So both of my parents kind of have um, mixed history. So I'm kind of a smorgasbord of a person. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I was like, okay. I was like, I wasn't raised with my um, heritage as much as I would like in terms of my indigenous heritage. Yeah. Um, so, cause a lot of it got erased and of course, historically, mm -hmm. a lot of indigenous people were sort of forced to silence their own cultural history and heritage yeah. in the name of gentrification. So, you know, a lot of people in a lot of indigenous people weren't even documented. So we can't trace a lot of our family history, especially on my dad's side where the black and indigenous side of the family is. We can't trace it back past a certain point. There's not even record of the people that obviously existed, but you know, we can only go by word of mouth. And mm -hmm. uh, I know my dad's father actually fled when he was I think really young or something like that from Florida. So we have theories about certain things that he, historical moments in Florida that he might've been involved in um, or had something to do with, cause there were a lot, a lot of people that fled from Florida at that time. 
Oh yeah. There was, I mean, Florida, I mean, a lot of the South was bad in general, but Florida, the historically speaking is really bad. There's some really, really tough stuff over there that, uh, if you oh, go, yeah. if you go down to like, um, I don't know if you've been to St. Augustine, uh, there's a whole, been. it's like where the fountain of youth is basically. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole specific like museum you can go to outside museum with like all the you can go get water from the fountain of what they believe to be the fountain of youth and like and uh and what they did with uh the indigenous people there and like it was just it's just interesting because it, i always talk about this and i'll never stop talking about it because it's still happening it's just obviously goes on in a different way like um but people don't think it's still happening. Like colonization still exists, you know, take Palestine, for example, you know, um, it's a huge, yeah. huge thing, you know, and, and, and everyone's like, no, no. And I'm like, but it is, people are still like, like you said, micro, the, the micro, I think it's the, the worst of it is the micro side to yes. it, the micro racism, because the aggressive side, at least, you know, <laughs> It sounds horrible, but some people say, yeah. at least I know that they absolutely hate me because of the color of my skin. Yeah, None... I mean, macroaggressions are- It's horrible, but- That's, that's what think... runs politics, you know? Yeah. So, but anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's like, when it comes to microaggressions though, it's like, like you said, it's like everything is so covert now, essentially, that a lot of people think that we don't have to currently deal with the same things. Mm -hmm um anymore because it's all over and done with segregation is done etc when it's sort of like the segregation is done in only some ways at some, right. root at or at surface level mm -hmm. we are done with that at surface level but nobody right. talks about the the you know how big the iceberg is under the water essentially what we see is only a part of it right where it gets a lot you know there's a lot more to that there's a lot more that gets you know that is under the surface of the difficulty that still goes on in a covert way which sometimes is almost a little more painful to deal with mm -hmm. as you can't even point the finger to say that this is racism that this is you know discriminatory towards indigenous people you can't even make those points because people don't even recognize, you know, people want to cling to this idea that, that it's all a thing of the past, mm -hmm. but you can't erase hundreds of years of oppression that easily. It's so woven in our system that our everyday lives, unfortunately, still enable it. Indeed. And then throw the queer component into it. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> like, and you're queer. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Yep. It's a it's a fascinating um, dynamic of things that people quite are like, that doesn't exist. That's not happening. I'm like, but it is. But it's like, I'm not going to sit here and try to prove anything to you when it's been proven time and time and again. There's no there's no one, the, the extremists, even the, the extreme left side, the extreme right side, I do believe like there's a lot of good in the middle, but we can't, we have a hard time getting there because, well, people are just assholes. <laughs> so, 
No, I mean, I like I said, I I do I do kind of reside in the middle because I'm somebody that yeah um, I do see the the problems on both sides, and I've kind of always been that way. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, it's like especially when it comes to you know my own indigenous heritage. It's like indigenous people were a lot more um, were a lot more comfortable with the idea of queerness until you know essentially until colonialization so it is something to where you know and i know it varies from tribe to tribe that it's not always streamlined through every single one but generally speaking there was a lot more if you can call it liberal views amongst indigenous culture yes. towards gender and queerness versus now you know because of quote unquote you know European colonialization and stuff like that, yeah. you know, and this forced views of Christianity being shoved down, you know, the propaganda sides of Christianity being shoved down the throats of indigenous people. Mm -hmm. A lot of that we end up being removed from because we no longer have a sense of who we were because we are told you can't practice your own culture anymore. You now have to practice what is the only practice and religion etc. Hence yeah. why now I have, you know, I study a lot of different religious backgrounds and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I kind of have a bit of a omnistic viewpoint. You know, I, I don't get appropriative about it, but I do have quite the omnistic viewpoint because I am a spiritual person, but I'm agnostic at the same time because and non- denominational non-conforming in you know religion as well because i realize how things were implemented to remove us from indigenous cultures around the world who were teaching things that were quite that were quite woke that we just didn't want them to speak about because it wasn't convenient for capitalization basically Correct. That is it. That's the, that's the, that's the money right there. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's it. And, and that's that. And, and uh, so when you are, um, so what, so are you able to um, have a complete, uh, speaking of money, uh, are you able to have a, a thriving career making things and doing things or do you have to have something else? What do you do in your everyday life to um, sustain your artistic creativity through financially? Um, I mean, starting out, um, obviously in the beginning, I've been I've been working as a freelance artist since the age of seventeen years old, and then That's amazing. How old do you, do you mind me asking? How old are you now? I'm twenty six. Cool. So, That's a long yeah, time. That's great. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was like, I've, I've been working as a freelancer since I was 17. And I first um, got started through Craigslist ads, through talking to different people. Um, my mom is an artist, so I would kind of go with her to different places and meet people where I would start to get commissions. Um, and as far as now, you know, of course, in the beginning, it's like a lot of times you have to do multiple things at once to land the amount that you want to make, especially if you move to New York, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I had done a lot of online jobs. I had done a lot of uh, 
you know, freelance work and stuff like that. And now, you know, it's uh, in the process of, you know, landing the, you know, the budget required to produce and go into doing magic dolls and stuff like that, um, which it is a little bit of a hustle in the beginning because obviously we have met on Upwork. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know so yeah, that by everyone we met on Upwork, which is you hire people through this channel. I did not hire King. However, <laughs> I uh, was so fascinated by this person that I was like, we're gonna talk on my podcast and we're gonna end up creating something else together. Um, because that's just that's the way it, it's going to probably work out. That's the way I I that's how I live. That's how I breathe and exist with people. Um, so that's how we met. Now we're on the podcast together. Yay! Yeah, I mean, it's like like I said, I'm I'm somebody I don't really have like. I know people say like, oh, you know, like don't say the other jobs you've worked on the side and stuff like that. You know, it's something to wear. I have no qualms of saying that, you know, that freelance is not what I want to do in the long run. Yeah. What I want to establish in the long run is, of course, going about magic balls and pool, but it's something to do where I don't really have any sense of shame of being like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of other jobs that I've worked in, you know, have worked, et cetera, to build up the money that I need. And, you know, of course, now it's like even more so sort of in that hustle phase of getting landed with our funding be, or with their funding for Magic Dolls because I'm right in that beginning of uh, about to produce my samples for my first collection and so exciting um, it's been sort of that game of like you know figuring out what all else I can do to get that the right amount of money I need. And I think of something that, um, I think when it comes to artists and especially like artists starting out, if you have goals of entrepreneurship and business ownership, creative businesses, et cetera, there is that beginning phase of, you know, like I said, um, you know, I mean, once I am fully backed then I am fully backed for Magic Dolls, but there's always that phase of where you sort of have to decide what you want in life and decide like what it is that you want to do and no matter the challenges that are thrown at you to sort of stick to your stick to your gut of what you want to establish and figure out whatever you can to make it happen and that's very much what I go by you know and I, it's something that I don't want to sound like I'm speaking too soon in early stages but at the same time, it's like I have always been that person dedicated to pulling myself through. So, you know, it's um it's it's taken a bit of a hustle to be able to figure out how to do this. Yeah, I, of course it does. I mean, it, because you not only do you come up against yourself, because obviously you start to like go and you get people, all of us get in our heads sometime and like, oh, my God, there's so much effort just to get here. But at the same time and at the same time, um, you come up against the people that are been doing it and are, are successful or sometimes they're nice sometimes they're not sometimes it's very um how do I want to say this very um well we live in a very like well I'll just say this we live in a very heteronormative idea of the way things should exist um 
because it goes back to us talking about indoctrination and putting people in a, in a place that they were like, why am I going to do that? I don't believe in that. And that's not the way I was raised, but they're like, doesn't matter. We're going to, you know, we're going to kill your whole family and we're going to, you know, not let you exist if you don't abide by our rules. Of course that affects us now, just in general, just doing things, just uh, existing with our creativity and our art. And, um, but the best part about it is when you do get that moment, that aha moment and you create something and someone's like, oh my goodness, yes, here's the money. We're going to fund this. You can make all the things you want and we're gonna have a show and we're, you're gonna do this. And it will happen, it is happening. And then uh, you go, now. <laughs> what'd you say? It's unfolding now. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Um, your energy is fantastic, by the way. Uh, just from I'm speaking, glad. just from speaking. Where? So you're moving, though. You you said you're moving. Yes, I am in the process of doing that now. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like to give too many details. You know, I'm still going to be in New York, but. Uh, oh, good. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, wait, you're leaving the city, but no, you're in New York. Yeah, no, I'm. I kind of have to be New York bound for a, a little bit. That's uh, true. Just because. The nature of what I do, it's like there's sort of like really two places in the US that I can live in um, that are conducive to the industries that I'm going into. And it's just something that like, you know, it's, um, I've been in that process of, you know, dealing with my own apartment situation to moving into, you know, to really consolidating on my expenses for a while because I'm pretty dedicated and moving forward on this project. Because um, uh, like I said, you know, there's a pretty decent amount that has to be landed to um, just for even the short film and um, first visual development of the collection, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's something that, um, it is just all a part of the process. And I guess I just embrace it because, you know, in the end, it's kind of just like, I will be where I want to be. And, you know, I think, like I said, it's just like, I kind of look at things as like that journey because obviously when you are marginalizing, I guess to get a little bit tangential here, it's like, or tangential here, it's like, when you are marginalized, it's like, yeah, there are a lot of things that do stand against marginalized people. I'm a big believer as, as a little bit like whimsical as the sounds that being said, I'm a big believer in you choose your reality. And so when it comes through it, when it comes down to it, it's like, no matter what I feel is standing against me and standing in my way, it's like, I sort of choose that reality by taking those steps forward and, you know, uh, trying to be landed in the places that I want to live in, the areas that I want to live in and all part of the process of moving forward for me. <laughs> That's, that is probably the best mentality to have inside of anything one, but also specifically when to, inside of the art world and creating art and, and in the industry and, 
because it takes you a lot of places. Some you don't really want to go to, some you end up going to, and then the other ones you're like, yeah, this is great. Um, but that's what it does. And it takes a lot of uh, power behind yourself to um, get into that and really be like, okay, well, what should I do so I can take the next step so I can actually feel comfortable continually, continue to, to, to continue to create, but not kill myself financially. So I'm stressing all the time because then I can't focus on creating. Um, you have to find that balance and, and it exists. You just have to find it. So um, with uh, your starting to write this, has it always been a, a queer journey for you? Like have because it was set 11 and listen kids come out of, out of the womb today they're out and about at like five years six years old but like i know who i am and i'm like good for you um was it always that for you like did it did it or is it just slowly developed into this grand beautiful colorful journey with queerness and specifically it was a slow development um because i didn't really start out really understanding myself um right. you know in terms of like relationships it's like uh, my what I'm attracted to and who I'm attracted to hasn't really shifted but my gender has mm -hmm. um so when it comes down to queerness in terms of queer as in gender um dysphoria started to hit me starting about around 16, 17, 18, and 19. And actually, now that I think about it, because this part of my my life has sort of raised my mind for a minute, um, I actually used to identify on the asexual spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I, and, you know, this is something to where I don't want to ever say that there aren't real asexuals, um, because sexuality and gender are both fluid. Right. Some asexuals are legitimately just asexual and situated in that. For me, I I definitely flip flopped between asexuality and and being on the regular sexual spectrum. And I later ended up finding out there were a lot of sort of traumatic reasonings as a way as to why I used to feel asexual. And when it comes down to it, it's something that I sort of shifted back into my sort of regular sense of attraction that I had developing in, in elementary school and middle school. Once I started to more and more undo that, and then the gender thing starts to come up. So when I was undoing that hurdle, the gender thing starts to become more and more prevalent to me. So. You know, um, I, in terms of one of the other muses of Magic Dolls, and thus the main one that I play and model as and, and bring into life on myself, some may consider it a bit of a persona, you know, but some may consider it just more so an extension of myself. Mm -hmm. As by no means am I ever going to try to be disingenuous in terms of any persona I portray, but King uh, was a character developed in the sector of mine in 2014. Um, when I was writing the comics um, that I used to put um, out when Magic Dolls actually used to be a online comic you know, thing where I was going to start publishing and producing my own comics. Um, and then 
my story started to take a shift into screenwriting. I developed King in 2014 when I was a freshman at, you know, at um, Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was so intuitively putting a lot of bits and pieces of my own emotions in the character that it took a subordinate character that didn't really matter that much to sort of skyrocket into being one of the main events of the series Sector Amai. So, um, and thus that character spawned a very massive alter ego that created, created a bit of a channel for all of my emotional experiences and different things that I went through. Um, to where I talk about all the intersectional stuff and gender stuff, et cetera. And, you know, I, the character King in the story essentially is a trans man and in a way, you know, or very heavily gender non-conforming to that point. I didn't even realize how much of myself was actually shifting in that direction in the beginning, I was sort of just pouring that, all of that into a character because I didn't feel like it was safe for me to be it, you know? And it's something that um, once I started to become more comfortable with that, I started to realize that I was like, you know, I'm actually, I actually feel like what this character feels and in a lot of ways. So it's something that, um, you know, like I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty much like, as I like describe it as as close to a trans man as you could possibly think, but at the same time, not because I don't like the idea. I, I sort of weird where it's like, I do go by masculine pronouns, but I don't like the idea of people thinking that I have to forfeit comfortable, being comfortable with femininity in the process of just to be referred to as he, him, you know? And so it's something to wear. And especially as a designer, it's like women's wear is a lot more fun. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And it's something that, you know, in a lot of those cases, it's like, I, I didn't want to forfeit the way that I like to look just because of my pronouns shifting. So, you know, it's, it's something that my own journey with gender has really been about on one hand masculinizing myself on a physical level, but then kind of maintaining this sense of ambiguity. So, you know, people may call it, I know there's the whole demi boy thing, but it's like, um, you know, with me, it's like, I don't ever really shift into feminine pronouns or desiring to be looked at as a woman anymore. It's more so about being just this complete ambiguous, ambigu sort of masculine, ambiguous, androgynous phenomenon is where I'm headed. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's great. That's that's just what you should be doing. Like it's it's so hard for people to understand those things. And it's and then plus you, the the advantage you have is creating. You got to create this amazing character who obviously reflects a lot of you and, and your journey. And that's what makes, that's what makes good storytelling. That's what makes 
us actually exist together and understand each other. Um, if you choose to understand this, some people just don't. Some people are like, well, well. I'm like, well, I mean, whatever, go away. So that's just a great, very intellectual um, and um, thoughtful description of a journey thus far because you're just you know you're just still going on it so i think it's really cool and thank you for sharing all that that's really cool yeah i'm i have i do admittedly have like an aggressively intellectual side to my creativity because i i love it i'm kind of to be honest a little bit in the middle where very both left and right brained you know i'm yeah it's good i may still be a little bit more left of like highly creative but at the same time i i always have this very philosophical notion behind everything that I create. And I think that's partly because of the sort of deep connection that I have with my own work, just in general as a channel, even aside from King, just in general, my own work has been a channel of everything that I've felt. Um, and what I like to write about, what I'm intrigued by, you know, things spiritual reasons why I've written these things to personal physical reasons why I've written these things to to just a desire to create as a way to convey messages so you know I I hope that comes forth in you know my film coming up headless bird so do you have well that's all great that's really good that's fantastic it, and I probably will come out because it, it will it will all make sense. Your world will come into our eyes and heads and minds and it'll all make sense. Do you have any words of, I like to ask my guests if they have any words of wisdom to give to my QT listeners. Um, I think in terms of like words of wisdom that I can provide, especially for any queer youth coming up and stuff like that. Um, or I guess to people of any ages, cause obviously, I mean, I'm on here and I'm 26, but yeah. You know, it's something to where um, teenage on into 20 years old, I think it's about whether you are in a situation where you can or cannot come out with who you are, whether it be sexuality related, gender related, anywhere on the spectrum, is to, in a way, trust your intuition and trust your gut on what brings you I, I know I sound like the KonMari technique but you know it's like what brings you joy and that is a sense of like really though like mm -hmm. you know what brings you joy because at the end of the day it's like you have to trust yourself into where you want to go and to do your best to listen to that beyond anything else because a lot of people are going to tell you who to be, who not to be, who to, you know, what you are supposed to be based on a pre-made pamphlet. The more that you start to listen to yourself, to be in alignment with that sense of what is calling you to, to the best version of yourself and to, towards your higher self, all those things are sort of like little pings and nudges that you have to tune into and take that guidance. Obviously do so in the safest way possible, you know, but at the same time, if you feel like people aren't there for you because of your situation, 
you know, to take the leap of faith to look for those who will be there for you, you know, and those who won't judge who you are. Because at the end of the day, there isn't a real timeline for anybody's journey. You know, nope. it's something to where the entire idea of a timeline is just a, a facade based on the sort of social acceptability of when everything is supposed to be right there for you all together and life is supposed to be streamlined and perfect by the age of 20 something right which is unrealistic for a lot of us you know mm -hmm. and it's something to where not to punish yourself for that and listen to your intuition and trust your gut as to what will guide you that's great uh so where can they find you um, I can be found at uh, King D. Reisegar. Um, and I know the name is not pronounced like it sounds. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I can be found at King D. Reisegar um, on Instagram, everywhere. Um, and I'm making those changes now to put those uh, pages up. And then I can be found at Majadols everywhere. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I am getting established with my online presence. Well, thank you so much, King. Um, once again, to get all the spellings and everything, just look at the episode notes and you'll get all the correct spelling as to where to find Magidals and King online. It is a world like no other. Go enter it and, and enjoy. Uh, of course, I want to thank my honor sponsor, Michael Jacob Rouskis. And of course, if you are so interested and feel so obliged, please give me some money on my um, Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash quarantine podcast. $5 goes a long way. Uh, that's all. I, that's the bonus episodes. I know it took me a while, but a lot's been going on, but a lot of great things are going to happen. So that's it. I hope everyone's doing really well out there. I hope you're finding these episodes to be informative and helpful and to guide you along on your fabulous queer journey in this crazy, beautiful world we live in. Be safe. Be aware. Love to you all. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love. <laughs>